coming to you from the Woodland Baptist Ministry Center, home of the Woodland Baptist Church, on the 5th of March, 2023. How shall we pray for a fellow believer? We are in the book of Colossians, as you probably have suspected. And in Scripture, we have run across various prayers that are recorded in, in the Word. We have, of course, in the Sermon on the Mount, the example of what we call the Lord's Prayer. It was actually the prayer outline that the Lord gave to the disciples on how to pray. Then we have in John chapter 17, actually the Lord's Prayer as he prays uh, for his disciples and for the world and the ministry that would be embarked upon by his followers. We come to Colossians as part of the opening of this book. We have one of my favorite prayers that's recorded in God's word. As Paul prays for the church of Colossae, though he said last week that as far as we know, Paul never visited this community of believers. He had visited others in the, in the neighborhood, and probably there were those that, who had come from that community, had heard Paul, but as far as him actually coming and preaching in their midst, there's no record that he ever did so. And I love the fact that the prayer that he offers up here in Colossians, the first chapter, is based upon the report of Epaphras, as Epaphras is one of the leaders of the church that was well known by Paul. And he says, he filled me in on your faith. And so Paul then offers up this prayer and it's recorded for us, and I'm so thankful that it is, he says in verse 9, So from the day that we heard, where do we hear? From Epaphras. We have not ceased to pray for you. I won't go into a big long thing about the importance of prayer, but prayer is essential because it, it puts us in the right alignment with the Holy Spirit as we do ministry, we know that the Holy Spirit has to be behind anything that's going to be spiritual. And so our prayers then are so important. But he says, we have not ceased to pray for you. And then he gives us the prayer. And I just wanted to take a few moments before we move to the Lord's Supper to look at this prayer and I entitled this, How Should I Pray for Other Believers? And we have this example of Paul. And I want to break it down so that you can get a handle on it. And, uh, and then maybe use it as an outline for your own prayers for other believers. It is, a, it is a wonderful, wonderful prayer. Actually, the prayer can be summarized in the first couple verses of this prayer. And this is how it goes. And I will give you the main body of the prayer. And then uh, as, he, as he fleshes it out, he talks about what 
the outcome will be if this prayer is, is answered by God and seen in the lives of believers. So here's the gist of the prayer. He says, I ask that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. That is the gist of the prayer. Now, there's more to it than that. But the, the rest of this prayer is basically um, four proofs that this prayer is being answered in their lives. In other words, what, will this, what would it look like in the life of a believer if this prayer is answered? And so let's look again at the prayer, and, and then we can see the proofs as it goes from there. So we're going to just break this down, some of the words that are used here, so that we can have an idea of, of Paul's prayer. He says, I ask and that you may be filled. Now, he's, he's a good Southern Baptist, Paul is. And so he says, y'all. Okay, y'all. Uh, that y'all might be filled. That's what he wants. Um. Because he's basically not saying you individually, he's saying all you have believers, I want the same thing for all of you, that you may be filled in. Apostle Paul then, as he's addressing this prayer, he says, I want God to do a work in you. I had an interesting experience this week. I went to Costco to get some fuel. Yes, because the little light by my gauge had come on with a little pump there, and it says, you need to get there now. So I got there, and if you've ever bought Costco gas, you know that sometimes there can be long lines. I got there, there was nobody in line. I pulled right up to the pump, and I'm like, this is great. I put in my Costco card. Pulled it out and it goes, your card is expired. Please have it renewed before you pump any more gas. <laughs> so consequently, I had to go into Costco, pay for the renewal, come back out. But God was gracious and there still was no line and I got some fuel. But when I went to fill it, Remember, I told the little gauge was showing there. I filled it up, and I filled it up. My tank holds 16 gallons, and I pumped 16 and a half. So all the tubes were empty. <laughs> Apostle Paul says, my prayer for you is that you would be filled. Not running empty but that you would be filled with what? The knowledge of his will. And he says, in all spiritual wisdom and in all understanding. So he gives us three words here that are in the same family. They, they like to hang out together. 
And that is knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. Paul says, my prayer is that God would do a work in you in the work of filling you. And I love this because it's in the passive voice, which means that we are not to fill ourselves. God is the one who is to fill us. Okay? They be filled with the knowledge of his will. The word knowledge there is a heightened form of, of the word to know. It means that you might have not just knowledge, but that you would have full knowledge. Okay? Imagine a student who is starting to learn math. Okay? And he learns his addition tables, or she learns her addition tables. And you say, I've learned math. Are they done? There's a lot more to go, right? Then you learn subtraction and multiplication and division. And then you're into roots and square roots. And then you get to our friend's algebra and geometry and calculus and trigonometry. And, and you go, and then we go on to math analysis. And on it, it says, my prayer is that you would be filled, fully filled with the knowledge of his will. He says, I don't want you just to know a little bit about God's will. He says, I want you to have full knowledge. Basically, Paul is praying that the church there would be filled with the knowledge of God's will so that we would know the heart and the mind of God, to know what he's about. Okay? Have you ever met a person for the first time and you sort of make a mental assessment about what they're like and who they're about? And then you start spending some time with them and you find out more and you find out more. And Apostle Paul says, I don't want this journey to be over. I want you to have full knowledge of who God is and what he is about. Then he says... If that is enough, he gives us two categories. In all spiritual wisdom, and we could add that in all part to the next word, and in all understanding. So what's the difference between knowledge and wisdom and understanding? Knowledge is that whole idea of the embodiment of truth. Wisdom has the idea of a practical application of truth. When we have wisdom, we figure out then how this truth figure, figures into this situation. James, in the first chapter, it says, Connor, I'll dry when you fall into, into, into all sorts of troubles, right? Various trials. And you go, yeah, I'm a happy camper. No. He says, he says, why do you have joy? He says, so that your spiritual life would increase in God, that you would know more than you started out with as you start to put the practice. Then it says, but if any of you lack wisdom, 
Let him ask of God who gives to all men liberally and abradeth not. In other words, he doesn't get on your case because you don't know how to apply it. He says, just ask me, I will show you how to apply it. So what we have here is the truth of God's word. This is the knowledge of what he is about and how he operates, how he wants us to operate. But we say, okay, I got that. And I'm going to operate by faith, which means I'm going to put that to practice in my life. But I don't know how best to do that. How best to do that. For instance, we're, we're told to make disciples, the Great Commission. We're told to make disciples, and we go, ah, okay. So that means leading people to the Lord and then discipling, help them to grow to maturity. I got that. I understand what that is. And by faith, I am going to do that. Now, how best to do that? That's where wisdom comes in. You ask God and say, how best do I do that? I was talking to a person this week, and I said, so what that means for you is standing on a corner being a street preacher. And their eyes got big, and they go, no, that's not for me. I said, no, probably not. It says, wisdom, then, is taking the truth of God's word and saying, I'll operate by faith. Yes, I'll do what you say to do. But God, I need to know the best way that it works with me and what you have for me to do. And that's wisdom, practical application of the truth to a particular situation. Okay? But he's not done. He says, I want you to be filled with the knowledge of God so that you have wisdom how to apply truth in different situations and that you will have full all understanding. All understanding. What's he driving at here? He's, he's used the word that talks about comprehending something and probably my best analogy, and it's just an analogy, is you ever work on a jigsaw puzzle? Esther's back there going, yes, I think we need to get another one out. Let's do some more. But yes, jigsaw puzzles. You ever watch, I'm just telling you, watching Esther is wonderful doing jigsaw puzzle. She has the, the puzzle set out there, and she has the pieces, and she'll go around, and she'll look at the pieces, and she'll reach over, and she'll pick up this piece and put it in. Why? Because in her mind, she has seen two things about the surrounding area here. She's seen the shape that the puzzle piece needs to be and the coloration that goes with it. And so when she's looking out here, she goes, what is something that has the same shape and same, uh, that one, okay? And the idea behind understanding when it comes to spiritual understanding is we start to put the pieces together. We start to see how God is at work in this area and this area and how those two areas work together. That's the idea behind understanding. So Paul says, my prayer from you, for you, since I heard from the beginning about your faith 
is that I wanted you to be filled, God to be at work in your heart and life, filling you with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom, in other situation, you might know how to apply it. And with all understanding, you might see how this piece that seems to be random over here, and this piece that seems to be random over here, in the heart and mind of God, actually go together. And you go, that would be enough for a prayer, but he's not done. He says, I want you to be filled for a purpose. All this isn't just so that you can go on Jeopardy and run the Bible category. Okay? He says, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. In other words, he says, I, I don't want you to be filled with all this knowledge and wisdom and understanding just so that you'd be filled. What if I pulled away from the pump and I parked my car and said, my tank is full. Praise God. Yeah, where are you going to go with this? The whole idea of being filled was so that I could drive the car and get somewhere and do things. And Apostle Paul is thinking the same thing. He says, I want you to be filled with the knowledge of, the, of God's will so that you can walk in a, a manner worthy of the Lord. That we could see how the Lord's life is lived out in us. Okay? I was going to use it. I'm going to use an illustration because I think you guys can handle this. Are you ready? As a pastor, I do weddings from time to time. And, and I realize we're in a free and open society and people live their lives, right? But there's special occasions when you ought to dress up, right? And a wedding ought to be one. You may not, you may not wear anything but jeans, but they're not old, grubby, dirty jeans. They're clean jeans, maybe new jeans. But I'll, I'll come to a wedding and I'll see the bride and she's all decked out and the groom and and. The, the attendants on both sides, they're all dressed nicely. And, and then walks this person that looks like they could have come straight from the beach. And you go, come on, did they have time to change? Well, maybe they didn't, so I'm not going to judge them on that. But assuming that they knew that this wedding was coming, they should have thought about it a little bit and prepared to do something that was fitting. Okay. You say, of all the different ways to live, and all the ways that the world says to live, Apostle Paul says, I pray that you would be filled with the knowledge of, will, of his will so that you would walk the way that's pleasing to the Lord. Okay, that's what I want, what I want from you. 
that you would not only be filled, but that your life then would manifest it its way in something that was worthy of the Lord. And he adds the extra phrase, fully pleasing to him. Fully pleasing to him. And I was thinking about that. This isn't a matter, and we'll be clear here, this isn't a matter where Apostle Paul saying, what I'm praying for is that you would measure up. He's not talking about that. When he talks about living a life that's walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, when a parent gets a bike to their kid and it's got the training wheels, you know, and they're riding around, and finally, the kid finally gets to the place where you can take the training wheels off and the parent runs alongside holding on to the back of the seat to help the kid in case they're a little unsteady, you know. But then you see they're, they're doing okay with, with their balance and, and you let go of the seat and sometimes they fall over, sometimes they don't. But the progression from going from a trike to a bike with training wheels to a place where they can ride. The pleasure in a parent's life is not the fact that, yes, you did this to please me. No, he says, I'm pleased that you are able to experience that. And that's what Apostle Paul is saying. He says, you would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Why? Because he delights to see you succeed. He wants to see accomplishment in your life. Not for his own purposes, but for your good. He says, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing. It's the excitement of a parent who sees their child finally get it. Is excited about that. Apostle Paul says, that's what I'm praying for you. That as you walk in this worthy walk, fully pleasing the Lord, he's going to be delighted that you have got it. In Philippians, the first chapter, verses 27-28, Paul writing to the church of Philippi says, only let the manner of your life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come or, or to you or whether I'm absent, I may hear that you are. And he gives us some examples of what this worthy walk would be like. Well, these things that would be pleasing to the Lord. You're standing firm in one spirit. You're in one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and you're not frightened by anything of your opponents because to them it is something that speaks to their destruction but to your salvation as you then minister. Apostle Paul 
says that to the church at Philippi, and it could be easily applied to this prayer. But that's it. That's the prayer. I want you to be filled with the knowledge of his will in every capacity, spiritual wisdom, understanding, so you can walk a worthy walk that pleases God. That's my prayer. He says, however, we're not done. He says, you will know that this prayer is being answered. And he doesn't put it that way. I put it that way. But what he says is these things will be the result of that prayer being worked out in your life. And he gives us four things. Four proofs that this prayer is being answered. First, others will find us investing in them in practical ways. You go, where'd you get that? It says, bearing fruit in every good work. You're going to be investing in others in very practical ways. And the examples of, we could go to several passages on fruit bearing. Some of, of the passages talk about character qualities like the fruit of the spirit. But other places, when he talks about good works, then the fruit turns not to character qualities, but our actions. And that's what Paul is referring to here, that you would bear fruit in every good work. Others will find us investing in them in very practical ways. I've given you some passages. I'm not going to take you there. You can look them up. Some in, in 1 Timothy, some in Titus, as Paul encourages those leaders to talk to their, those in their charge. So the very first aspect is that others will see that as we're filled with the knowledge of God's will and we then walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, one of the things is you're going to see us making practical applications in the lives of others, helping them, sharing, sharing our life with them. The second aspect, he says, bearing fruit in every good work. Number two, and increasing in the knowledge of God. So I put it this way, that we are becoming more intimate with our God, the Lord, with the Father, with the Spirit. We are becoming more not so much a stranger as he was a week ago or a month ago or a year ago. We are, we are growing more and more intimate with him. And the interesting thing is, as the Lord fills us, and we said that that was in the passive, this particular outcome is also passive in the sense is the Lord is filling us He's always, he's also on his direction, giving us more and more insight into himself. He desires for us to know him better and better and better. He's not done though, there's a couple more signs. 
He says, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. And may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. There's a mouthful there, isn't it? And again, we have something in the passive. It says that God, as he fills us, and as we respond to it with wisdom and knowledge in our life, we're finding out more about who he is. We're becoming more intimate with him. But also, he's empowering us to live this Christian life in the worst possible situations. Okay? How do you you get that, Pastor Tim? He says, that you might be strengthened with all power, and this is where we get the word in our English language, dynamite, dunamis, that you might have that power that God puts into you according to his glorious might. I love that. Because what he's saying is, I'm not talking about a firecracker. I'm not even talking about a stick of dynamite here. Where we get the word dynamite from dunamis. He says, I'm not even talking about the Grand Coulee Dam with their whole dynamo and their turbines cranking out power. He says, the measure of the power that I want to put into you is the measure of the power that's in me. Wow. He says, filled with all power according to his glorious might. And you go, what do I need all this power for? You know, I got lightning bolts coming out of my fingertips. No. (laughs) He says, for all endurance and patience with joy. We're back to James, the first chapter. Again, count all joy when you fall into various trials. When the trials come into our life is when we need the power of God come through with all joy. We don't have it. We don't make it. We need it. And so he says, my prayer is that as you're filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and understanding, so you'll walk a worthy walk, one of the aspects of that that will show is when you come up against it, you'll be able to power through it. We're reminded in the book of Job how his friends said, well, his wife says, why don't you just curse God and die? (laughs) Bail, bail out of here. And his friend said, you need to repent. You've done something, your kids have done something. You need to repent and get right with God. That's why all this stuff is coming. And the answer to all that was nonsense. The reason he was going through suffering is because God says, Did you see my righteous servant, Job, who knows that I love him and I care for him? And he serves me out of the freedom of his own heart and life. 
and I empowered him to make it through this. And he did. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. When I'm driving a car, I like to have a little extra horsepower there, right? Not just so we can race. I know some of you, right? But if you got into a tight situation and you needed to get out of it, and you needed to get out of it now, you put the pedal to the metal and the, and the engine kicks in and all those horsepower come to bear and you get out of the situation. And the Lord says, I've given you the power so that when you're faced with these things, that you can power through them. That you will have the horsepower to do that. So four, four proofs that this prayer is being answered in your life. You'll find us investing in others in practical ways. We're becoming more intimate with our, with our God, with our Lord, our, our Savior, with Father, with the Spirit. We're being empowered to rightly handle trials. And what I mean by rightly handle trials is the matter of handling them with perseverance But he has one more. He says, if these things are true, and this prayer is answered in your life, your hearts will overflow with thanksgiving. One of the hallmarks of a believer is thanksgiving. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, in everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Now there's the command. But Apostle Paul, as he's praying here, he says, it's also one of the byproducts of the fact that God is filling your life with his character, his nature, his power, and you will come out the other side and you go, God, you're so good. God, you're so good. I can't get over it. When I say overflowing, what I meant was, it starts in your heart, but ends up coming out of your lips, too. <laughs> you start expressing to others your delight in the Lord. You go, man, what a great God we got. And I want you to realize you can say that even in the midst of trials, because he just mentioned trials. It isn't that God is so good only when things are going good. God is so good all the time whether things are going good or not. He finishes up this segment. He says, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light? He has delivered us from the domain of darkness, transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption or forgiveness of sin. And I just listed four of these things. We've been delivered. Amen. 
reason to be thankful. We have been delivered. We have been rescued. I mean, it doesn't take too long back in our history like this last week when we have seen flooding and somebody is sitting on top of their car, sitting on top of their house, and along comes a rescuer and, and delivers them. And he says, spiritually, we've all been delivered. We were in a hopeless situation. Without a deliverer, we would not be delivered. And we would be the lost. And we'd be lost. He says that we've been transferred. And he says, moved from darkness, the domain of darkness. And he says, now we share in the inheritance of the saints in light. So we move from darkness to light. There's a whole lot of things we could talk about that way. Things we didn't see before, but now we have spiritual wisdom. We see also how those things are put together with understanding. And we see how God is at work even when it doesn't look like apparently it works right now, we've seen how it's coming together. God has given us that insight and we can be thankful. Then he uses the word redemption. Very similar to this idea of being delivered. We've been redeemed. God, how he loves us. So that he would give up his son for us to purchase us from the slave market of sin. So that we could become, as he says here, that we can share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Wow. And if that isn't enough, and he says, oh, and the forgiveness of sin. What a glorious prayer. Want to know how to pray for other believers? Pray this prayer. And guess what? I don't even have to send you a copy. It's already there. Have you ever substituted words into scripture? You know, for God so loved him that he gave his only begotten son that if Tim believes in him not perish but Tim will have everlasting life what if you did this as a prayer for someone who's come in your heart you're praying for them you substitute their name into this prayer what a prayer, what a prayer. well we go over come from this last point overflowing with thanksgiving delivered trans, uh, transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light we've been redeemed we've had our sins forgiven and we come to the Lord's table and honor him and that's where we are now so we're going to give you a moment or two to come before the Lord because I think this would be appropriate if you bowed your head and closed your eyes and talked to the Lord privately for a few moments and said, thank you, Lord, 
for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. And then we'll share the elements. Heavenly Father, the prayer of Paul for the church at Colossae is so powerful to us. How much more the reality of that filling work by you in our hearts and lives, how much more it is when we walk a worthy walk because of it, and we experience these things. And Heavenly Father, how can we not end up with thanksgiving as to your gracious gift that you would have your son and he would willingly come from heaven and all of the acclaim of heaven and become a man and live among us become a servant and serve, and then go to the cross and die for us in order to redeem us. And we're so thankful that he was raised back to life. He ascended back into your presence, and even as we pray, makes intercession on our behalf. So Heavenly Father, as we come to share these elements it's with an attitude of gratitude. We're so thankful for what you've done on our behalf. We give thanks in the name of our Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen. I ask the men to come forward and we will share the elements. This is open to all believers. This isn't just for um, those that are members of this congregation. This is the Lord's table. These elements stay exactly what they are. Some broken matzah, unleavened bread, and some fruit of the vine, some grape juice. But they speak of the body and the blood of the Lord that were shed on our behalf. And we're called to remember. We do this in remembrance of him. So Tom, I'm going to ask you to lead in prayer as we share this first element, the broken bread. Oh, our precious and heavenly Father, we are truly thankful for what you have done for us. That you have delivered us from darkness into light. You've taken us out of sin and brought us into righteousness. That you have paid the price to redeem us and that you have set us free in you. We thank you that you gave your only son that we might have life with you. We are so grateful for what you have done for us. We just thank you in Jesus' precious and wonderful name. Amen. 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 As the men pass these, we ask that you would hold them and we'll give a signal and all share it together.
Jesus broke the bread and gave it to his disciples. And he says, this is my body broken for you. And they were in the upper room. The cross was in the near future. And I'm sure they didn't understand the significance of those words then. But we certainly understand them now. Let's partake of that broken body, the bread. Jesus took the second element, the cup. Now the Jews, the disciples would have known that there would be reference then to the blood, but they wouldn't quite make the connection with Jesus' blood. We're gonna to ask Tom if you lead us in prayer, if you would. Our precious Father, we do truly thank you for shedding of the blood that you redeemed us from that life of sin and death and you brought us into the light that we can look forward to spending time with you in your presence we thank you that your son gave up his blood to pay that price to redeem us we give you the glory and the praise, and we just thank you for all that you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. And with that, the pastor's brain short-circuited. I meant to call on Mike. <laughs> Please forgive me. Tom's excuse next time. <laughs> you I am so thankful that the work of Jesus Christ is finished and he doesn't call on me to add anything to it because I would mess it up so we're thankful for the body and blood of Jesus Christ which redeemed us purchased us brought us from the kingdom of darkness into his glorious light made us joint heirs with Jesus Christ is there a reason to be thankful? Absolutely. Let's drink to the new covenant in this blood. I'm going to have the men come back with the trays and collect your cups, if you will. <laughs> 